Let's pray. Lord, thank you for giving us the grace to trust you more. Thank you for the ways that you consistently provide for us, the way that you have given us breath in our lungs to be able to praise your name this morning. I pray, Lord, for this message as we spend time in your word, uh, gleaning your truth, that uh, we are able to take it and apply it to our lives, allow it to make the impact and take root so that we are able to live fully for you, being able to become more like you and glorifying you in all that we say and do. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Gar Hoover. Uh, I am director of Young Adults and Local Outreach. And as you all know, Brent is on vacation. Uh, and we're taking a little break from Hebrews, but we're also doing something special today, which is that we are actually starting a mini-series uh, called Generous Joy. And this series is a three-week series. Don't worry, I'm not teaching all three. Uh, we have Lake next week, and then Brent will be closing it out the final week as we explore this series called Generous Joy. And I'm sure some of you, when you hear that, you might hear something that might sound similar to giving, and you might already be put on edge a little bit. I understand that. And if you're a guest with us, I'm sure you're like, of course, it's a guest preacher, and they're talking about giving, and you might be a little discouraged. But while I have you all here, I want you to know, right, our priority as church leaders is to see our flock thrive, to grow more and more like Christ, to be sanctified. And an important aspect of us being sanctified and becoming more like Christ is practicing generosity, right? Which can sometimes be overlooked if we're being honest. And that is why uh, we have decided to have a series that is focused on this topic. And now, I'm sure some of you have heard of inflation, but what about tipflation? T-I-P, tipflation. If you were to Google that right now, uh, you would see plenty of news articles come up from NPR to CNN to Fox to CBS. Uh, wherever you get your news, there is an article about this. And it is the concept that wherever you go, you are always now being asked to tip, even if you aren't ready for it, whether you like it or not, right? You pay for something and they have like the cool iPad and you swipe your card and they spin it around. They just ask, they say, oh, I just have a few uh, questions to ask you. And it's not a survey. They're asking you how much you would like to tip. And you have provided options of how much that would be. They always assume you want to tip too, right? Whether that's for coffee. I've seen it even when shopping for clothes, asking for a tip when you come to pick up carryout right? Or it's your Uber or Uber Eats, right? It's everywhere that we go is this idea of tipping. It's very, very common. I was at uh, Clark's Ice Cream on 12 Mile in Berkeley, great place. And I was there and I was ready to pay for my ice cream. And so I gave the card to the uh, high school girl that was working behind the counter. And she simply asked, would you like to tip? And I'm not going to say no. That looks really mean, they're, they're just working their high school job for the summer. I also haven't received my ice cream, so I don't know if they're going to give me a small scoop or not, right? So it, there's a risk there. 
But there's always that initial reaction like, ooh, it feels kind of odd, right? And we get to this place where someone asks about tipping, and sometimes we can feel kind of protective, right? We get possessive of our money or our resources, and we think to ourselves, I've earned it. I should decide how I spend it. Why, why do you think you're deserving of a tip, right? You were just working the counter when I came to drive to pick up my carryout, right? There's these things where sometimes we're like, no, this is mine. I decide how to spend it. But we know as believers that we are called to be generous. And generosity, it doesn't focus on what has been lost in the process, but rather what is gained as we give. And before we can even look at what it might look like for us as believers to be generous, I believe that it's best that we look to the source of our generosity, being God. And as we today explore the depths of God's generosity, uh, we're doing something a little different. We're going to be starting in the Old Testament and making our way to the New Testament. And as we do this journey and go on this journey and study this, we'll see that the generosity of God prompts us to have generous hearts. And so if you think about it from the very beginning, if you were to go to Genesis chapter 1, which is, I think, on the first page of your Bible, um, Genesis chapter 1, verse 29 says, And God said, Behold, I have given you Every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with its seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. We see from the beginning, Adam and Eve are given such a generous gift. They are given access to every plant and tree on the face of the earth that is accessible within the garden. Do you know how many fruits there are? There are over 2,000 fruits, right? We eat like apples and oranges, but there are so many more, right? Or vegetables. There's over 1,000 veggies. So if you think about that, they have so much variety. There is so much at their disposal, more than they could ever need or ever imagine. And then if you go to Genesis chapter 2, that same generosity from God is reiterated again. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You shall surely eat of the tree of the garden, of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So Adam, once again, it's, it's shown that he has freedom to eat of any tree in the garden but one. And why not that one? Because it leads to death. I think that's a pretty good reason to prohibit someone from eating from a tree. But we see that God's generosity is overlooked. And even though Adam and Eve were made in the very image of God, were placed higher than the rest of creation, that they were given dominion over it, that very act of generosity, being made in the image of God, was overlooked. As they took and as they ate of the fruit, because they listened to the serpent when he said, if they took the fruit, they would be like God, knowing good from evil. Another just overlooking of the generosity of God. 
But even after the fall, even after the curses of the fall, right? God still could have said, you know what? You guys have lost your privileges. You get a barren, nasty earth, and all you get to eat are crab apples. And that would be really unfortunate. Only as a kid, we use crab apples for playing baseball or dodgeball. Both very painful. But God, we know, has blessed us with a beautiful, incredible earth that we are still able to see proclaims of his glory. That even while we were rebelling against God, while we had rebellious hearts towards God, God is still generous. Provides us with beautiful resources and things, right? We see in scripture, rain falls on the just and the unjust. That God is still extending generosity even after the fall. But God, in his pursuit to redeem all of creation, he establishes a relationship with a man, and that man being Abraham, right? And through his generosity toward Abraham, we see that God then blesses the world. And through that, we see that God's generosity then is extravagant and purposeful. God's generosity is extravagant and purposeful. And if you were to go to Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 to 18, sorry, you're doing a lot of Bible drills today, uh, you will see the perfect example of this taking place. And a little bit of context before I jump into it. Abram, at this time, right, before he, his name was changed to Abraham, uh, and Lot's herdsmen were arguing. They were quarreling because of a lack of space and a lack of resources for their herds. And then Abram proposes this great idea. You know what? We've got plenty of space. You, you can go to the right, and then I will go to the left. Or if you choose the left, then I will go to the right. I will let you choose first, and then we'll go to two separate lands so that our uh, herds have enough resources. And so Abram, being kind, lets his nephew Lot choose first. And Lot, he chooses the Jordan Valley, which makes sense. We see the description of it is that it is lush, that it is compared to the garden. That is described as similar to Egypt alongside the Nile River. It's great for farming and helping cultivate that land. And so Abram then settles in Canaan. And that's where we're picking up the story here. Verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, and eastward, and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which were at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Now, can you imagine this interaction taking place? Abram here, right? Lot has already picked what seemingly is the better land, expecting it to potentially be a blessing for Lot's descendants, for them to be able to grow and thrive in that land. But we know blessings don't come from the land, but blessings come from God. 
right? Look what he says to Abram. Lift up your eyes. Look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, all that land, all that you can see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. That is extremely, extremely generous, right? It makes me think of the Lion King, right? As Mufasa and Simba are sitting at the top of Pride Rock, they're looking over everything. What does he say? Everything the light touches is your kingdom. It is this generosity that God is extending to Abram. And Abram knows. God has had a previous conversation with Abram in Genesis chapter 12. He knows that his offspring will inherit Canaan. That's a promise. That's a guarantee. But for that land to be as far as the eye can see and for his descendants to be like the dust of the earth, that is the very definition of extravagant generosity. And we got to remember, Abram did nothing to really deserve this. God does not say, because you let Lot choose first, I'm going to upgrade your land or bless you. God is upholding his promise he had previously made to Abram. And how does Abram respond to this generosity from God? We see that he follows God's instructions and then he worships. He worships. He builds an altar to God in the land of Canaan where they are still worshiping idols. But as I had mentioned earlier, God's generosity, it is purposeful. And in Genesis 12, we know God shares with Abram that his family is going to become a great nation, which is wonderful. But also he says in verse 3, God says this, in you, in you, Abram, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, how does the generosity that is extended towards one man and his descendants become a blessing to the whole world? Well, it's Jesus, right? It's, it's the classic Sunday school answer, and it's right again. And if you were to go to Matthew chapter 1, right, the, the chapter you usually skip over because it's the genealogy, whose name is mentioned at the at very top? of that list, of that genealogy. It's Abraham. He's the first one in the queue, right? Through God's generosity to Abraham, we are able to experience the blessing that is to all families of the earth. And that blessing is Jesus Christ. And in him, right, this is where we experience God's generosity at its greatest strength. We see God's kindness. You see, God's generosity is fully displayed through the gospel. God's generosity is fully displayed through the gospel. And the first way that we see this take place is in the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. If you think about the Old Testament, God revealed himself in many different ways to his people through impressive, you could call it theophany, which is a way of them perceiving God, right? That, that would include the burning bush. That would include the pillars of fire and smoke, right? That includes thunder and lightning. Like there, there's all these different ways, if you think about the prophets as well, the visions that they've received describing who God is, There are these amazing visuals that are evoked. But we also know that God revealed his character and who he is through promises, through the law itself. But in Christ, 
All, all of humanity is able to grasp who God truly is, to see God in a whole new light, a new perspective, right? We're, we're able to see God's humility as Christ became man and dwelt among us. We're able to see God's compassion as Christ goes to those on the fringes of society and ministers to those that are in need, that are overlooked. We're able to see God's wisdom on display through Jesus' teachings as he makes the reality of the kingdom of God accessible, easy to understand through parables, things that they were able to grasp from their everyday life. Jesus said it himself. Who has seen me has seen the Father. We are able to understand the very love of God through Jesus Christ in a whole new way. And through the very humanity of Jesus, we're able to see the second way that God's generosity is displayed through the gospel. And that is that we are given the perfect example of how to live as Christians. Because God certainly was generous in providing Israel the law, providing Israel with prophets to help keep them in line, to help them remain distinct, to help them remain holy toward the Lord. But we know Jesus brings a new perspective because he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it in its entirety. Throughout Jesus' ministry, we are provided with incredible standards for how we are to behave and how we are to be fully human, right? Because Christ is the perfect example of what it looks like to be human as God intended it. And it's not just simply like, oh, don't lie or don't steal. We learn what it means in very complicated situations. Like, what does it look like to submit fully to the will of God, even when it's difficult? We see that perfectly through Jesus Christ. Or what does it look like for us to resist temptation when it is strong and overbearing in a moment when we're all alone? We're able to look to Jesus for that example. Or what does it look like for us to truly love someone, one of our enemies, even unto the point of death? We see it in Jesus. He provides us with that example, which leads to the third way that God's generosity is shown in the gospel, which is through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Because God is holy, because God is just and righteous, beautiful, beautiful qualities of God, we are all worthy of punishment for our sin. Yet, God extends mercy to us. And that is through Jesus' death on the cross that we are forgiven for our sins. And as if that wasn't already generous enough, because we didn't deserve that forgiveness, we see that God goes be beyond that entirely in Christ's resurrection. Because we're not only given mercy, we're given grace. We're given beyond what we deserve. We receive the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of God. Right? We're given new life. 
We, we are given freedom from sin. That, these are incredible things. We have the privilege to participate in God's redemptive plan by being part of the church, by being able to be in community with other believers as the body of Christ. We're no longer seen as sinners. We're seen as righteous in the eyes of God. And as we go through this life, we're able to become more and more like Christ, which is such a beautiful thing. He doesn't leave us where we were at. And as we pass on, we know that we have hope because we are going to be co-heirs with Christ. We do not deserve any of this at all. And as we continue to grasp and understand the generosity that God has extended us, the grace that he offers to us every single day, we can't help but praise him. The better we understand that, the more we say, you are worthy of praise and glory. And as I mentioned, right, God's generosity is extravagant and purposeful. So as we receive salvation— as we are extended blessings in our life on a regular basis. It's not just to make you happy. It's not just to make us content. It has purpose. It has intentionality. It is to lead to growth for us to become more like Christ. Because God's generosity leads us to trust him and imitate Christ. God's generosity leads us to trust him and imitate Christ. Christ. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 to 19, this is the last place I'm stopping, at the end of his letter, after Paul has already provided personal encouragement to Timothy, Paul goes back around and he begins to instruct Timothy on how he ought to address and encourage the Christians that were within the church that were rich. Look what he has to say. Verse 17, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, to be ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they might take hold of that which is truly life. Now, after reading those verses, I'm sure some of us might want to try and distance ourselves from the rich in this passage. I say, I, I don't have a nice car, I don't have a nice house, I don't, I don't have Gucci shoes or whatever else, you name it. But we know that we have all been blessed. We know that we all have countless resources beyond just our regular needs, right? We live in the most affluent country in the world. Look around you. You have wonderful chairs. There are like a thousand AC units in here, right? We are absolutely blessed. This is something that we don't always grasp in our day-to-day -day lives because we like to compare ourselves to the people at the very, very top. But when we look at history, when we look at the rest of the world, everyone else is looking up to where we are, right? And if we're being honest, we're not excluded from these commands to the rich. 
because we all fall into these traps ourselves, right? The first instruction that we see in verse 17 is that we shouldn't be haughty or you could say prideful because I've talked about this before. We love the idea of being self-made in the United States, bragging that, that we did it all on our own, that we did it by ourselves, that it was, no one else helped us. And something else we love to do is connect our worth, our value to material possessions in order to gain status. Even if we might not have a lot of money, we'll still try and buy things that are nice to try and climb up the ladder. But as believers, we know that God is the one that is providing for us, that has given you those opportunities, that provided you with that place that you're working right now, that home that you're living in. We did not get there on our own. It was by the grace, it was by the generosity of God. Nor do we need to show off our resources to other people. Because when we start to do that, when we start to direct the attention on ourselves for things that God has blessed us with, we're trying to give ourselves the glory rather than God. And when we're fighting for glory in that way and trying to steal it from God, that's a pretty dangerous place for us to be, if we're being honest. And then we see the second instruction is that we shouldn't set our hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. That we can't find our confidence our security, our comfort in money, in investments, our home, anything. Because we know, right, even if you go to the beginning of this, uh, this verses again in 17, as for the rich in this present age, he's already emphasizing your wealth is temporary. Everything is fragile. We know how fragile this economy is right now. It's like a bad game of Jenga. Like, you put your trust in something that unstable, that fragile— you aren't going to trust it. And you're going to say, okay, I'm going to have to deal with this myself. And what are you going to do? It's going to lead you to a selfish place where you're grabbing every single thing that's around you. And you're saying, what's yours is mine and what's mine's my own. That's it. Generosity is thrown out of the window. We aren't able to be selfish and generous at the same time. Instead, we need to set our hope our trust, our faith on a God who is sovereign, who is over all, because he is the one that richly provides for us. And not, it doesn't just richly provide for us. Look what else it says. With everything to enjoy, to delight in. And remember, the hope, the hope is not in the things, the things that God gives us to enjoy. The hope is in God himself. The gifts that we receive beyond our basic needs, contrary to our culture, are not the end. That's not the end goal of it all. Those are a means for us to delight in the Lord, for us to worship him, for us to be generous with the gifts that God has extended to us. Verse 18, they are to do good to be rich in good works, to be generous, to be ready to share. Rather than focus on temporary wealth that's in this present age that's going to crumble away, right? They are instructed in verse 18 to be rich in those good works. And those good works come about 
through extending generosity, through sharing. And so if you think about us, we need to be freely giving just as God gifts us. Right? Have you ever ordered food at a restaurant and it was so good that you made everyone else at the table try it? You're like, no, you need to try this. You start passing it around. Maybe even you're like, hey, you tap another table and you're like, you need to try this appetizer. It is good, right? You are like, this thing is amazing, but I'm getting more delight by sharing it with others. Yes, I'm going to have less in the end, but man, the, seeing the joy on their face or the surprise when they eat that thing, that's where I'm getting my excitement, my happiness from. And as people taste it and they're like, oh, wow, that's good. They aren't like, good job, Gar, you ordered the right thing. No, they know, wow, this restaurant is amazing. That chef is brilliant, right? They know where to offer that praise. And in the same way, we need to be sharing generously with what God has gifted us. And as we share with others and they're able to delight in those things in the same way, we are able to then point them toward the creator, point them toward the sustainer, the provider, as we share generously, which we know is contrary to our culture, especially as we express the love of Christ to them. We don't need to expect anything in return as we extend that generosity to them. Or maybe you're here and you're like, I, I want to grow in my faith. I want to grow in my ability to trust in the Lord. Great. Be generous with what God has gifted you. Trust that he is faithful. Trust that he is going to provide even after you give that up to other people. Right? Think about it. God's gotten to you to where you are right now. He can get you back there if you're generous with what he's given you. Right? He can do it again. And some of you were incredibly generous with a mission trip that we were just able to have as a church. A month ago, my wife Susie and I, along with a team of young adults, we all went to Athens, Greece. And while we were there, we were able to help out Alexander and Kendra McCreese. And, and we were able to reach teens in their neighborhood of Kipseli which has a lot of people that aren't from Greece that have immigrated there over the years. And by your generosity, by your generous giving to allow many of our people to be able to go on this trip, we were able to provide the McCreases with the necessary support, the necessary manpower to host a day camp for teens. And through that process of engaging and connecting with those kids, it's opened many doors for the gospel to take root in their lives, especially with kids that didn't want to be part of the church in the first place, that are now asking like, hey, when does church start? I want to go. Or going to, they just finished a Christian overnight camp. And some of the kids that went to our day camp were new and they decided, yes, I want to go to that day camp. And they just finished it. And now they're helping serve at the kids overnight camp. Right? God is doing incredible things. And through your generous giving, that was all made possible that we're able to impact those children's lives. And of course, we know generosity goes beyond finances. It's being generous with our time. It's being generous with our money. It, or not money. I already talked about that. Energy. With our talents. If you look at Jesus' ministry, he wasn't just giving out money. 
We know that he was just generous with all that he had. We all have the opportunity to be generous in the same way that Christ was with our just energy, talents, time. And as we do that, as we continue to be generous, there's a little that's lost for sure, but there is much that is gained. Verse 18, I'm going to read it again, and then we're going to go into 19. They are to do good. They are to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they might take hold of that which is truly life. The rich and good works, they're not storing up treasure on earth, right? Whereas we know moth and rust destroy, but in heaven, investing in that good foundation. The generous believer is concerned about that which is truly life, a life of sacrifice, a life of giving, a life of worship, because we know that God will continue to provide. He will continue to be faithful. And through taking hold of that life that is truly life, God will be glorified and hearts will be changed for the gospel as it is proclaimed and lived out in our lives. The generosity of God prompts us to have generous hearts because the generosity of God is extravagant, is purposeful, it's fully displayed through the gospel, leads us to trust him and imitate Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we can never thank you enough for everything that you extend to us. From, from the beauty of creation around us to the ultimate sacrifice of your son for us to be able to have right relationship with you again, to be seen as righteous, to be able to participate in your plan of redemption, God. We, we don't deserve it. I pray, Lord, that each of us gets a grasp and understanding of how good, how faithful, how generous you are, how gracious you have been to us, and you will continue to be throughout our lives. I pray, God, that we use that as motivation to trust in you, to not look to the things of this world for comfort, for confidence, or anything, but instead looking strictly to you, knowing that you are the one that has provided everything that we have. And we can be grateful in that, but man, let us be generous in that as well, Lord, to be able to have the confidence to share what you have extended to us, to others, to be a blessing, to be able to reflect the grace that you've extended to us, to reflect the love that you have shown to us, to be able to help people and be able to help them understand the goodness of the gospel. It is in your name that we pray, amen.